Well, hey there, prolific authors. I have a really great interview for you today with author Maddie Dalrymple. We're going to talk about her story frame and how she uses it. We're going to touch on a lot of things like writing both long and short stories, using spreadsheets to help plan your story and keep things straight, the why of certain scenes. And if you have ever had to delete a lot of words from your manuscript, just throw them away. She's probably deleted more. So we're going to talk about that too, along with, of course, her story frame. But before we get into that, I just wanted to remind you that August 22nd is coming up on us fast. We're going to do our first Finding the Heart of Your Story boot camp. It is free for all authors. I'm going to show you how to find the emotional core of your story, use it to build out your plot. And then we're also going to talk about how to market more effectively using the internal stuff. Okay. So it's going to be totally free. It's probably going to change your perspective on how you write your story and how that story feeds into your marketing, right? Um, so I think it's, you're going to find a lot of value in it. If you haven't signed up yet, make sure and do so at bit.ly forward slash story heart. I will have that link in the show notes and um, make sure that you do that so that you are getting the emails for when and where we're going to go live and do the teaching as well as the replays. Okay. So it's going to be really fun. There's going to be lots of authors there and I hope to see you there. Without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Maddie. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. Let's face it, readers read fiction to feel emotion and be transported and transformed. In this ongoing digital revolution, where online marketing is always in flux, the only way to create a sustainable author business and live off your royalties is to write transformational stories, market at every stage of the author journey, and cultivate a loyal audience of readers. Fortunately, there's never been more opportunity to make a living as a fiction author. Hi, I'm Liesl Hill, USA Today bestselling author and story clarity coach. When I'm not dictating my own stories about dragons, serial killers, and dystopian worlds, I help other authors write their own transformational fiction, position them as bestsellers, and market them like pros. Join me on the podcast where I give writing tips, marketing how-tos, story advice, and interviews with other authors who are in the trenches just like you and making it work. We are prolific authors. All right. Welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. We are here with Maddie Dalrymple. How are you? Great. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Good. So you are an author. You write suspense, mystery, and thriller, which I write too. So we have that in common. Um, so why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling everyone you know, who you are and about what you write? Sure. I am the author of the Anne Kinnear suspense novels and suspense shorts and the Lizzie Ballard thrillers. And I also podcast, speak, write, and consult on the writing craft and the publishing voyage as the indie author. Nice, nice. All right. So you said that you write shorts. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I had started writing short fiction because I wrote the first one or two books in the of the Anne Kinnear suspense novels. And then I got this idea for another novel that I wanted to work on. So all my books have a theme of what happens when an extraordinary ability transforms an ordinary life? And mm -hmm. in the Anne Kinnear books, the extraordinary ability is that Anne is able to sense spirits. She has a business around this that's run by her brother that involves contracts and consulting engagements. It's all very businesslike. And then I had an idea for another story, but it depended on a different kind of extraordinary ability. That became the Lizzie Beller thrillers. And I can't really say what Lizzie's extraordinary ability is because it would be a bit of a spoiler. 
But <laughs> while I was working on the first of those books, which was Rock, Paper, Scissors, I wanted to give my Ann Kinnear fans something to sort of tie them over. So I was I wrote a couple of Ann Kinnear short stories, four or 5,000 words. And then as it became clear that Lizzie Ballard was going to be a trilogy, I was writing more to continue to tie the Ann fans over. So I ended up, I think I now have seven or eight um, short stories, all of one of all, but one of which are available on the retail platforms as standalone eBooks. And then one that I retain as um, a reader magnet. And on the basis of that experience, I co-wrote with Mark Leslie Lefebvre, the book, Taking the Short Tack, which is how authors can create income and connect with readers using their short fiction. Nice, yeah. And so um, one question I have about that is how do you balance your time between writing the longer stuff and writing the shorter stuff? Do you just take a day here and there to write the short stuff or do you, do you have a particular process for getting to all of it? Well, I never really plan the short stories. They just have to kind of come to me. And I sort of find that the short stories end up being triggered by an idea that I think would be fun to examine in miniature. So mm. as an example, um, in 2019, my husband and I were in a cruise from Hawaii to Vancouver. And along the line, because I write sort of darker novels, I started thinking about the whole concept of falling overboard or jumping overboard as the case may be. And so I thought that would be kind of an interesting thing to write about in the context of a character who contacts dead people for a living. And so it wasn't that I had this big, that I started out with a big overarching theme that I wanted to address. I just thought, well, this is kind of an interesting topic and I'm going to use a short story to explore it. But those ideas pop up kind of irregularly. And my hope is that when I have a couple more, I want to have enough so I have a year of Kinnear. So it would be 12 short stories based on Anne Kinnear, one for each month of the year. Uh, but I just have to kind of wait for those to come along. Whereas the, the stories, I mean, the novels are much more planned out, scheduled out. Yeah. More strategic. Yeah. So you just write the short stories kind of wherever you can, once they come to you Yeah. around yeah. the bigger ones. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, I really like that you said that you have this overarching theme for your story about, you know, transforming an ordinary life. That's really fun. So Tell me about how you uh, craft your stories then, because that's something that you do even consulting on outside of your own fiction, right? Yeah, well, I think that gets to something I've been really interested in lately, which is this idea of a story frame. Mm -hmm. So in the July, August issue of Writer's Digest, I have an article called Creating Your Story Frame. And it tells the sad story of Anne Kinnear book five. The <laughs> book that took me longest to write was latest against my own deadline and involved the largest number of thrown away words. So oh. I had an idea that was, um, there was a, a winery uh, near me in Chester County, Pennsylvania, and I wanted to use it as a setting for an Ann Kinnear story, uh, mystery and wine and books, like it just doesn't get any better right. than that. And so I was working on it and I put together what I thought was a pretty extensive sort of treatment of it and um, thought, okay, that's good. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dive in. And I dove in and I got caught in what I like to think of as the, wouldn't this be cooler dilemma? Because, <laughs> you know, I had, let's say 
70, 80,000 words. And I would be think I was almost ready to send it to the editor. And then I would think, oh, but you know what would be cooler is if this character is a, has a different profession or, I mean, early on, I actually changed the nature of the crime and the person who committed it. Fortunately, oh, wow. I wasn't 80,000 words in when I did that, but um, I was, there was a lot of thrash going on and there were those big changes, like who's the bad guy, but there were even little changes. Like there was a character in it who was pregnant. And the first time I wrote the, you know, in my first draft, uh -huh. she was just, you know, she was very early in her pregnancy, so it wasn't apparent. And so there were scenes where characters would find out that she was pregnant and, you know, comment accordingly. And then later I realized it would be cooler if she were uh, much further along in her pregnancy. So she was almost, you know, about to give birth. So not only did I have to change that, but I had to go find every occurrence where someone said, oh, I didn't realize you were pregnant because it was obvious, you know? Right, right. And so it was a combination of these, the big things and the little things that required a lot of finessing. Um, but I think once you have that idea about what would be cooler for the reader, you really can't turn your back on it. You kind of have to follow that regardless of the, the cost you pay. <laughs> and so what I decided to do with book six, which I'm working on now, and which is the basis for the article in Writer's Digest is to create a story frame. And I use that analogy because I love all things nautical for the writing craft and the publishing voyage. And so my idea was you, you wouldn't start putting on the, what I call the prose bright work. So in, in nautical terminology, bright work is the, is the highly varnished uh, woodwork that you see, especially on old classic boats, which I think is the perfect analogy for carefully crafted prose. Right. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't start at the back of the boat and then start polish, building and polishing as you go. Uh-huh. Because, you know, if you've made a mistake in the frame of the boat, that's going to spring a leak, that's going to sink the reader in the middle of your voyage, then, you know, you've invested all that time and effort for nothing. Right. And so what I did is I created this frame for the story and it was something that was built upon layer by layer. So the first time I might go by and for each chapter or each scene, I would say, um, Anne goes to the winery and meets her client. And then I would, I did the whole story like that. And then I would go through and maybe on the second pass, it was Anne goes to the winery and meets her client who turns out to be the former owner of a rival winery. And each time I would pass through, it would get more and more framed out. Right. Until I was, I mean, I ended up sending my editor, the other thing about five, uh, Ann Kinner five was I had to get it edited twice, which was painful and expensive. Um, right. so I made an arrangement with my editor that I would give him this frame. He would critique that. And then he would do a regular edit on the final, um, manuscript. And, um, but so I sent him about probably about 20,000 words. I mean, it was, it was a beefy frame. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that was how I ended up being able to make all those um, recover from those decisions about like how pregnant is she and who is the bad guy. Yeah. And it was also nice because it gave me the chance to do things like, and I was just, uh, looking at your nine essential plot points, mm -hmm. um, blog posts and, and listening to the podcasts. 
And you can also superimpose that kind of thing on it. If you have a structure right. that you like, then you can take that kind of structure and you can hold it up to the frame instead of a bunch of uh, more or less polished words and say, mm -hmm. oh, you know what? I'm missing a whole plot point or whatever <laughs> that might be. So right. that's my, uh, that's a long answer to the question about what my process is now that I wish it had been my process earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so it's basically about developmental editing and getting the story planned so that you're not throwing away tons of words. So yeah. dare we ask how many you threw away for that book five? Oh man. Um, I mean, I probably wrote in essence, a second novel. Really? <laughs> I mean, I probably threw away as many words as, as it ended up being, which was about 80, 85,000 words. Wow. Um, and sometimes I did it, you know, chapters at a time. And sometimes it was, you know, what I have to go in and take out all those references to people being surprised that she's pregnant. So, yeah. you know, it, yeah. it happened in different ways, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if I threw away 80 or 85,000 words. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely painful. So yeah. What, what do you put into the frame then? What are you, you know, what are like your benchmarks for the frame? So the guidelines I use for the frame are that um, it would be just the description. So no dialogue, or I should say, just a description of what happens, no detail. Okay. Um, no detail about like the description of what it looks like as one looks over the, uh, you know, over the vineyard or no right. dialogue between the characters because I, because that's the kind of thing you can spend a ton of time on and maybe doesn't end up getting used. Um, I also used, I ended up using a different font because I normally, I use Scrivener and I normally use uh, Palatino as mm -hmm. the, font that I, you know, when I'm actually drafting, when I'm actually writing, that's what I'm using. And I actually used Optima, which is a sans serif font, because I wanted to emphasize to myself that this was a different mindset. And having okay. that kind of less decorative font helped me um, get myself in that frame of mind. Um, I also started each of these scenes with the point of view character's name in caps. So okay. Anne goes to the winery and meets her prospective client. Right. And that was nice because in Scrivener and, you know, other writing softwares as well, uh -huh. I could look through all the chapter headings or the, you know, the early words of the chapter and say, oh, I have an Anne point of view character scene. Then I have Mike, then I have Anne and Mike and Mike and Mike and Mike and Mike. No, that's not going to work. So it right, helped me right. work out that it also helped remind me about point of view. So I didn't go wandering off into accidentally into somebody else's point of view. Um, I use the, I always use present tense in the frame. Again, okay. to keep my mind on the fact that I'm just describing what the action is. Mm. Um, and then two other things that I found super helpful were to capture the scenes in chrono chronological order as they happen in the story. So, I think especially for people who write mysteries, there are often flashbacks or there's all the stuff that happens before the story opened. <laughs> Even if you don't ever right. tell it as a flashback, it's important to set the scene for the story. So mm -hmm. I, I wrote all of those. I mean, I framed them all out and I put them in order. So even if I was going to include them in a flashback, I didn't include it in the frame where it would appear to the reader. I included it where it would happen chronologically. Okay. And then the last thing, which really would have helped me out with Engineer 5 is to put notes in there about why I'm doing certain things. Mm. So probably 10,000 of the 80,000 words I threw away 
were because I, I wrote, you know, one draft and then I wrote, wrote back and I got to the point where it said, um, Anne took the long way from the winery to downtown. And I thought, well, that's silly. I'll just have her go the short way. <laughs> so I would rewrite all that. And then three pages later, it would be like, because Anne had gone the long way, she happened to see such and such. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and then I would have to go back, you know, and yeah, regroup. And so even if it sounded silly to me, I would put notes in the frame that would say, Anne's going the long way because she has to see this thing that happens. Right. Um, and that has saved me a ton of thrash in book six. So um, those are kind of the guidelines, the uh, use a different font, uh, start with a point of view character scene, just describe the actions, not the dialogue or the detail, chronological order, and including the notes about why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really love all of that because especially as authors, we're, we're very prone to let our story carry us away and go off on all these tangents. So it's really important for us to keep focused. Yeah. And I think people kind of underestimate things like the font and you know, yeah. like mindset things that just put you in a kind of a different frame of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I also, I, I love that you talked about why, the why of, how, of why you're doing this. And I, I really think that's important in story in general. I mean, obviously in this case, to keep you focused and, you know, not going off in some way that you're going to have to fix later on. But I also think it helps you explore your story now and know better, you know, the different elements of your story. I mean, have you, have you found that to be the case? Yeah, well, it definitely makes those big changes like, oh, I, it's actually somebody else is the bad guy, much easier to decide when you have 10,000 words on the page than if you have 80,000 words on the page. Right. And, and all this is not to say that then I get, well, before I say that, I'll say that I just kept making pass after pass after pass through the frame. And at some point, I just frankly got bored with it. I'm like, you know what? I just can't read this again. I'm only changing 7% of what I'm reading. And so I started morphing it into um, the manuscript. The, mm -hmm. the thing that I don't like about an outline, well, anything that has indents and Roman numerals seems like not what I want to associate with my creative work, but also <laughs> it's very separate. It's like, there's the outline and then there's the manuscript. And what I liked about the frame is I could just keep uh, going through and going through until I thought, you know what, this, this scene is feeling so solid that I'm going to change it to my nice serif font. Um, I'm going to change it to past tense and I'm going to start making it into the manuscript as I think it will show up for the reader. And right. so, you know, there didn't have to be that um, disconnect between the strategic thinking about the story and the tactical execution of the story. Okay. But that's not to say that I didn't keep making changes. I mean, it was, I still made changes. It was just, they were smaller and they were less painful. Right, um, right. You know, I have made changes about uh, a character's personality in, um, in the manuscript for book six. And it's going to be a little bit painful, but not as bad as it would have been. Right. So have you found that even though you do pass after pass, you know, on your frame until you get it right, is it still saving you a lot of time compared to what you were doing before? Yeah, it's definitely saving me a lot of time. And it's also, um, actually, I'll add the other thing that I do to, to help. This is probably going to make some of your listeners cringe, but I also have a spreadsheet that I apply to this. So at some okay. point, the frame becomes big enough that I'm having trouble keeping 
track of all the pieces. And okay. again, I think this is really true of people who write mysteries because you have to keep track of every little red herring, right. every little true uh, hint you've dropped. And I and it's it depending on how complex your plot is, that's difficult to do. And so, sort of as a, a companion piece, once I've gotten far enough in the frame that I find I'm encountering that, I make a spreadsheet that has the characters across the top, the chapters down the side, and then in each cell I put what does the character do, know, and believe at that point. Mm. So I can put, Anne meets her prospective client, which keeps me seven chapters later from having a scene that's Anne meets her prospective client. You know, right, no, yeah. she's met him. She doesn't have to act like she's never seen him before. And that's nice because you can read down, you can read down a row and see everything that happens with that character. Mm in the development of that character, whether it's happening on the page, off the page. And yeah. then you can also look across and see what's happening with all the characters in a chapter. Oh, I see that inexplicably this, this character is supposed to be talking to the same person that this character is talking to. No, I have to fix that. Um, so um, they all sound like they might be a little bit time consuming to create, but in the end for me, at least, it was an overall time saver. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that sounds really valuable. And I like that people do, you know, index cards and things, but I kind of like the idea of having it all there in a spreadsheet. There's something about being able to see it all laid out in front of you that makes it less daunting, you know, when you can just see yeah. all of it and kind of know where you need to, to be at next. Yeah. The thing that I really like about spreadsheets is the ability to filter views. So mm -hmm. if I realize that I have, you know, character that Mike's character has kind of gone off the rails. I can hide all the other columns. So I can just focus on what's going on in that row that has, right. or that column that has Mike's information on it. I find that helpful too, kind of, yeah. you know, to, to only be seeing the part that you're thinking about, but then also being able to step back and see the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I've never actually used a spreadsheet. I might try that now. Um, so how much time do you spend planning and going through your frame before you actually start writing, would you say? Well, I would say that I'm, except for Ann Kinnear 5, I'm kind of on like a nine month schedule. Okay. Um, I don't think any of my books, it's kind of averaging out, uh, also factoring in that as of 2019, I started doing this full time, writing and publishing and podcasting work full time. So I kind of, my target is every nine months to, um, get um, to get another novel out. And so I would say I'm probably spending a little less than half that time framing it up and a little okay. more than half that time actually writing it. And, and I'm not doing that full time, you know, I'm doing that among my other right. publishing work. So I would have no idea about being able to say like a time frame, but I think it breaks out like that a little less than half, a little more than half. Okay. Okay. Good to know. And before do you think you were, it was taking you a lot longer from beginning to end to write the books before you started doing the frame? Well, again, for number five, uh, dreaded number five, um, yeah. it, I had originally planned on trying to get that out six months after the previous book. So I published the previous book in April. I wanted to get book five out in October and then it became November and then became December, mm -hmm. January, ended up being April. So it was almost a year okay. uh, since the publication of my previous book. Um, 
that that book was out. So the learning for me there was both that that was very inefficient and also just that six months is not really my schedule. It, right. Even if I had been very efficient, I don't think I would have been able to meet that deadline. Right. Right. So what would you say to people who, you know, maybe want to use this frame, but how do you, um, you know, come up with all the scenes like people saying, yeah, but what if I don't know what happens next to put it in my frame? How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, the nice thing about this is that you can just start with it wherever. So for a lot of my books, the ideas come to me because of a very specific scene I see in my head. So for mm. my first book, The Sense of Death, the very specific scene I saw in my head was um, Anne on one of her consulting engagements goes to a house at the time it was San Francisco because my sister lived in San Francisco and I was spending a lot of time there. Yeah. And uh, she has a sense of something so horrible happening that she can't even go in the house. And in the, in the final book that happens a third of the way through maybe. But if that's your idea, then stick your idea in there. And in fact, mm -hmm. I just listened to how to write a premise for fiction which is another one of your podcast episodes. And right. I thought that that was a great, like I can see lots of opportunities to meld the premise concept as an entree into the framing concept yeah. or maybe even vice versa. Like I think different people can use these things in such different ways, but I think those things would be a really nice uh, combination. Right. But I, I think you can start a frame wherever you have a hook into the story and it, it'll yeah. work for you. Good. Yeah, that's good to know because so many people... You can come up with so many different things as the start of your story. You can go with the character, or like you said, a scene, or you know maybe the ending. And so anywhere that they start, they can just yeah. work out from there on the frame. And I think that that really helps. I feel like a lot of well, actually, my uh, example from the sense of death is probably as good an example as any. That many aspects of that ended up in the final book almost exactly the way I pictured them, but. But then some of them, it was completely different. Mm -hmm. And so capturing that scene, like um, Anne, Anne goes to San Francisco for an engagement and goes into a old Victorian house and can't go in because of the horrible sense she gets. Right. If you, if you put that down and then keep building around it, then if you realize that that's really not a scene any reader ever needs to see, it's somehow less gut-wrenching to take it mm -hmm. out, even though it was the initial idea that inspired you to write the book, than it is if you've carefully crafted, you know, the ambiance and what she says right. to the people in the description of the beautiful home. And at that point, you're so invested, it's very hard to get rid of it. Whereas yeah. if what you have are a couple of, of paragraphs just saying what happens, and then if you realize it's not right, it's easier. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of it is because, like you said, the investment and the time that you put into it. There's always, um, I was talking to Jay, Dave Chesson earlier about those memes. I, I don't see them as much anymore. Now that we have the cloud, it's not as big a deal, but you would see these memes about authors running back into a burning building because their computer's in there and they just, they can't stand the thought of losing those 80,000 words, you know, and having to start over. But, but what you're saying is if you haven't written those yet and it's just a concept, then it's just not gonna be nearly as hard to let it go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I can feel that. Great, great. So, I mean, what else can you tell us about the frame? Anything else that you want readers to know about it or I mean, listeners to know about it? Um, I just think, well, one thing that whenever I offer any kind of writing advice, one thing I always like to say is if you have a process that's working for you, please don't try framing. 
you know, right. if it's working for you, then keep doing whatever's working for you. I think this is just good for people if they're, you know, if the things I'm describing is the things I got stuck on or the things they're getting stuck on, then this is something that worked for me. So something right. to consider. The other thing I think is that something like a frame or whatever, you know, whatever construct makes sense to you is really nice to apply almost any other construct on top of. And so the plot points idea, you know, mm -hmm. you could, you could mark in some way in the frame at what right. point those plot points happen. If you're doing like the four act structure, you can visually divide it and say, oh, the scene's a little off. Yeah. You know, I have like half of it is act one and a 10th of it is act two, and this isn't working. Um, the, the idea, as I said, of point of view, you can very quickly see, especially in a tool like Scrivener, you can very quickly see if you want to be alternating points of view, whether that's happening or not. And, and again, it's easy to, to fix. It's easy to say, you know, I have three protagonists point of view scenes in a row, I'm going to combine them into one or whatever. So right. it works nicely in combination with a lot of other approaches yeah. that I've heard writers use successfully. Yeah. Yeah. No, that really speaks to me too. And that's why I teach so many different approaches because what works for one won't work for someone else. And I even say in my, um, my original nine plot points, um, you know, ex explanation that a lot of the, a lot of what I put in there was stuff that I was struggling with at the time that I kept forgetting to put into my stories when I was just getting into it when I was brand new. So, so yeah, I, I like the idea that it's, it's, so, it's so general that it can be used in conjunction with other things. Yeah. Great. Great. So is there any kind of book or worksheet that you have that, that readers could go, or I mean, I keep saying readers, that writers could go get um, <laughs> that explains this in more detail. I know that you have an article coming out, right? You said in Writer's Digest. Yep, there's the article in Writer's Digest, and I have um, taken, I'm thinking through that. So okay. talking about this with people like you is great because it gives me ideas of where I could expand on this concept a little bit. So um, no book in the offing, but I am collecting ideas, and I can imagine at some point, I don't know that it would ever merit like an entire book on its own. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but, um, you know, <laughs> famous a, last words, right? <laughs> a, a giveaway or something like that. But yeah, it's something right. that I'm very interested in and I think could help people. So it's something that I'd like to look at in the future. Yeah. Documenting more formally. Good, good. Yeah. I think that would be really valuable for people. And for me, what I've, what I've found, and, and maybe you can give me your thoughts on this just as kind of a wrap up question, but there's something about stating things about your story in a really obvious way. Like we kind of know with, with, for example, with crime, we know that it's going to be solving a crime. We know that it's going to be kind of your basic good versus evil, who the murderer was or whatever, you know? So we know those things about our story, but when we actually sit down and say, you know, concretely give words to, this is what the story is about. This is what this character is, is, is their motivation is. It's just, it's so powerful to get a more authoritative handle on your story by doing that. And for me anyway, that is kind of the um, the appeal of any kind of, you know, whatever it is, a frame or an outline, or because I just suddenly feel like I'm so much more equipped to tell the story without being vague or loopy about anything. I mean, <laughs> have you found that with your, with your story frame? Yeah, I think there are two parts to it. One is that the, the frame definitely helps identify those plot points that don't make sense. Right. But what I have found is that there are some issues of characterization, character motivation that I'm never going to get until I start writing the dialogue. Mm. And so there was a character in 
Anne Kinnear Six that I thought of as, as in a particular way. And I started writing the di dialogue and I'm like, oh, no, no, right, this isn't yeah. feeling right at all. And so that's involving a certain amount of reworking, but again, not as painful. And I can focus yeah. my attention at this point on improving the character development, knowing that the plot is in pretty good shape because of the frame. Nice. Good. Good. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming today and explaining all of this to us. Where can uh, people find you and connect with you? If they are interested in my fiction work, I am at maddiedalrymple.com and that's Maddie with a Y, M-A-T-T-Y. And if they're interested in my nonfiction work, I am at theindieauthor.com and it's indie with a Y, I-N-D-Y. Great. I will link those up in the show notes so that people can find you. And yeah, again, just thanks for coming and talking to us today. I think people are going to find a lot of value in this. Oh, good. Thank you for the invitation. This was fun. <laughs> sure thing. Me again. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.